Father, we want to pray for Don, Lord, that you will bless him and encourage him as he speaks. Use the gifts that you have given to bring glory to you, to inform our minds, but to touch and change our hearts. Mm. That our lives would be different, that we would act differently. We pray, O oh God, that we would have the ears to hear what your Spirit is saying and then the courage to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, mm. amen. Amen, thank you. Mm. Well, thank you for um, the opportunity to share God's Word with you. We've been looking at the series, and I've asked Ian if he'll come and... Um, uh, sorry, Neil. <laughs> you see, we don't know people's names very well. Neil, to give a summary of uh, last week, please. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> We've been coming here over 40 years, um, if, if you're um, not a regular here, and this is the first time I've ever known this ha- to happen with any preacher that he actually brings his own warm-up act. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going there. We're about a quarter of the way through a series that's going to last this whole year, looking at the Bible and the big picture of God and showing how each part of the Bible actually points to God's saving and redeeming purpose. And last week, Peter looked at the book of Solomon and how Solomon asked for God's wisdom, which he used to write the book of Proverbs. Wise words, which we would all do well to read and act upon. But we saw, as Peter pointed out, that Solomon didn't actually walk the talk but that Jesus did. Jesus lived wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. Jesus supplies wisdom and shows us how to apply it to our lives. And as Peter said, Solomon wrote about it, Jesus is it. To put it into perspective, the Israelites have been rescued from slavery from the Egyptians and we're rescued from the slavery of sin by the perfect redemption of Jesus on the cross. The Israelites have the presence of God in the tabernacle and the temple. We have God's presence because the word became flesh. David and Solomon were great kings, but Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The time of Solomon was as good as it got for the Israelites because it was downhill from then on. And so, if Don and I are singing from the same sheet, we're now coming to the decline of Israel and the role of the prophets in explaining to the Israelites that God had not forgotten his promises to them. And, and actually, looking at that slide, it might have been a warm-up act in more ways than one. Thank you. If you want to hear last week's sermon, you can listen to it online. Um, and if you want some background notes, they're available as well. And they're really good. Um, before we look at Elijah, I'd like to read to you from 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'm going to read from uh, the NIV. One Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked round, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hatzel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shephat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hatzel. Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, all whose mouths have not kissed him. It's God's word. And we're going to look at Elijah, one of the prophets in this period of time. Very significant prophet. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the meaning of your name, your first name? You haven't looked it up? Um, anybody here? Just, just, I'm not going to ask you what it means. Um, just have you looked it up? Yeah, Peter. We know what Peter means. The, the rock. Yeah, my name's Don, and Donald there is... You can share that, can't you? What does it mean, Donald? Proud chieftain, I was told. 
Uh, it works for some people, not for others. Yeah. Um, we heard last week, some of you heard before, but last Sunday we were told that um, Candice and Jack had a baby boy um, named Jedediah. Well, yeah, great. I'm pleased you've got a great memory. Jedediah. Do you know what it means? Looked at uh, I bit beloved of the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it was actually the blessing name used for Solomon. It was Solomon's other name. So it was great timing last week when we had Solomon as a subject. Well, Elijah means my God is Yahweh, or the one true living God. He's my God. The great I am is my God. And uh, he's an amazing character. Um, you can read in James, the little letter of James, where he says, uh, Elijah was just like us. And I'm thinking, no, he wasn't. Amazing things happened to him. And there's a temptation to believe that he was an enormously special person. But actually, he was an ordinary bloke, and it's a very special God. That's what it's about. It's about God using this ordinary guy. It's a story of hope. And hope is a biblical theme right through in all of this series. Hope can be right at the centre. I'm intrigued that Elijah often appears when there's a mountain. And um, let me just demonstrate. I was was going to speak from up here because there was a mountain. Um, (laughs) The the first mountain was, um, was this one, Carmel. And amazing things happened up there. Then he goes down and um, has a desert experience. No reflection on the music. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> shouldn't have said that out loud. And, um, and then he goes up another mountain, um, Mount Horeb. We heard of that in the, in the reading. He's looking for God to speak and something different happens than he's expecting. And then he's sent back the way he came. And I'm really relieved that I managed up and down there so much without falling over. Um, Pray for me that I don't fall off this step here too. So there's this guy, Elijah. And um, we'll we'll focus a little bit on what happens to him. The first mountain is Carmel. And um, we can have a little look, hopefully. Mm Mm-hmm. If our technology is working here. Not. Okay. It will do. There we are. Ah. Hallelujah. It's going well, isn't it? So he confronts the authorities, King Ahab and garbage. Now, he married, um, King Ahab married a princess, and her name in Phoenicia meant primrose. Lovely. Unfortunately, her name in, when it was in Hebrew, meant garbage. <laughs> and uh, 
That's what she was known as. Jezebel is not a name you probably want to call a child nowadays. Um, it's got all kinds of bad connotations. Um, oh, we, uh, we came across the name Carmel when we went for a meal with the uh, Wayfinders. Now, for those of you who are visiting don't know, Wayfinders is a group for over 50s. And, of course, you're surprised that I qualify for that. What do you mean? And um, <laughs> on, the, on the table in the, in the pub, on the, um, on the board, you know, they have the, the specials board they put on there for the puddings. Um, I took a photo because I thought it's worth remembering. It was some... <coughs> now, that's got to be some cheesecake, hasn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a misspelling for those who didn't see it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a bit of background, very brief. There was, um, as uh, uh, Neil said, got it right, <laughs> as Neil said, it all fell apart after Solomon. There was a civil war, which is always an expression that puzzles me. How can you have a war that's... Yeah, and um, there was a whole series of royal rogues who came along. Over a period of 58 years, there were six kings who were described in here as evil. Now, it doesn't mean that they were useless as kings. Some of them were really good military leaders. Some of them were really good politically. But as far as the Bible is concerned, as far as their spiritual and moral character goes, they did what was wrong, what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what it's about here. I mean, Omri, who was a really impressive king by all other standards, was only given seven verses in here. He was, um, he was number six on this, this list of six. Let me go through it. The first two were idolaters. The next one was a murderer. The next one was an alcoholic and murderer. The next one was accused of spiritual treason. And then we come to Omri. And Omri starts a new dynasty. All the others are related to, um, to Solomon. And with that many wives, there's a lot of relations of Solomon. Um, and uh, this is a new family, Omri. And he's described as worse than all the others before him. His son was Ahab. And that's the one um, in the story here. So along goes Elijah, who's from Gilead. And Gilead is definitely the rural part of the country. Serious shepherds and um, you know, dressing like John the Baptist and all that sort of thing. And here he goes into the royal palace, if you like, and all this wonderful surroundings. And this guy confronts the king and queen. And he says, don't you know, this is my version, uh, don't you know that you're breaking what God wants? You're doing the wrong thing. God has promised that if you go after other gods, there will be um, no rain. There will be a drought. And that was promised. You can look it up um, way back before they entered the promised land. And sure enough, for the next three years or so, there was no rain. He disappears for a while from public view. Uh, miracles happen, feeding by ravens hundreds of times in the, 
over the period he's there and the first resurrection in the Bible and so on and so on. And then eventually he goes back and, um, oh look, he confronts the authorities again. And he, um, he says, right, it's showdown time. You bring all your prophets, priests, whatever, of Baal and Asherah and I'll meet you on Mount Carmel and we'll sort things out. It's, um, it's a duel. It's a contest. Fight time. And so he says, right, you, um, you set up your altar. You put your wood on there. You chop up the, the, the bull, put it on top. No matches, no lighter fl- fluid, anything like that. It's just you call fire down from Baal. Get Baal to light it. And uh, they're, they're doing their dancing about all over the place, wild dances and um, calling on Baal. And Elijah says to the people, because a lot of Israelites came, thousands of them came, um, he says, why are you hopping about? Why are you limping? Why are you umming and eyeing? Why, if, if God is God, serve God. If Baal is God, then serve him. You can't do both. It's not a bit of each. And then after hours of them calling on Baal, he starts to really wind them up and says, well, now Baal must be very busy. You know, he, he may have gone on a journey. He's a god, you know, he's a very busy chap. But shout a bit louder. You know, check the, check the sign on the toilet door. He could be very busy. Shout louder. It's in the Bible. And um, so they shout louder and they slash themselves with knives and all sorts of rubbish. No show from Baal. So he sets up his own altar, puts the wood, puts the, uh, the bull on the top, chopped up. You know the story. And he gets people to pour water over it. Three times they pour water over it. It goes into a trench around the outside. And then he prays to God, and he prays two things. He says, show them that I really am your representative, and turn them back to you. He wants the people to turn back to the one true living God. And fire comes down. I mean, it is amazing. Fireball. It doesn't just cook the meat. You know, it... it, the meat disappears, the, the wood disappears, the stones disappear, the water's gone, there's just steam and a bit of smoke. Incredible demonstration of God's power. The people fall down and say, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And it's, I, I can't imagine this spectacle, but it would have been pretty powerful. Res, result it's a great result. Or is it? That he had promised there would be rain coming back. And so he prays for rain and he's got to pray seven times for it. And eventually a cloud appears so he knows rain's coming. Says to Ahab, right, you better go. Otherwise uh, you're, you're going to get stuck in the mud. So the, the chariot is going off and Ahab as Ahab goes, Elijah is running in front of the chariot. 
Now you may say, well, how on earth do you do that? It tells us in Scripture, God's Spirit gives him the ability to do that. And he is, he is charging along in front of the chariot. Quite uh, almost a ridiculous picture, but he's, he wants to be there when Ahab tells Jezebel what's happened. And that's where we pick the story up in that reading. Ahab told Jezebel, who for some reason hadn't turned up on Mount Carmel, and she is livid, absolutely livid. At first I wondered, why didn't she just have him arrested and killed? That would have been the obvious thing. But maybe she was aware that the public opinion was now in favour of Elijah. And it wouldn't have gone down very well. So what did she do? She used one of her really, really good weapons that she had, which was fear. She said, she sent a messenger, (laughs) didn't even come out and face him, I'll kill you. And uh, Elijah, who may have thought things were going really, really well, went downhill fast and he ran for his life says in the Bible in, um, in 1 Corinthians in the context of these things are written so that we will learn it says if you think you are standing firm be careful that you don't fall if things seem to be going really well it doesn't mean that things are going to go bad afterwards but it, just be careful that you don't assume that um, you can rely entirely on yourself. And he goes downhill fast. Um, That's the first mountain. What does he do then? He runs away. I mean, he runs 80 miles, more than 80 miles, um, down through Israel, down through Judah, and then out into the desert. Uh, the, the nation split uh, helpfully in alphabetical order Israel and Judah um, I always forgot that until someone pointed out it's I and J um, and so he's gone all the way down through to Beersheba and then says to his servant uh, you, you can go now Yet I, I don't need you where I'm going goes into the desert and it's hot I mean it's very very hot it's warm in here this morning but I mean it's out in the sun and uh, he's baking baking hot and um, he finds a broom tree different translations different names but some scrubby sort of bushy type tree like that and he says I've had it, I've failed Um, I'm a a failed Christian any other failed Christians here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean if we're honest, um, we, we fail. And if you're perfect, then please, you have my permission to turn off and not bother to listen to it anymore. Um, but we fail. And he really felt that he had totally messed up. He thought it was all going to go the right way as far as he worked it out. He thought Ahab and Jezebel would turn to the Lord. And it didn't happen. And he is 
so exhausted by all of this that he throws himself down under this tree. He crashes. He's completely um, exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, wrung out. He's depressed, exhaustive depression, I think we might describe this as. And he prays that God would take his life. It's that bad. I was intrigued to realise that he ran for his life, but he prayed for death. It seemed just a little bit odd to me. But, um, hey, this is, this is someone who is living a, a real life. I've, I've looked at different commentaries, and a lot of the, particularly the older commentaries, blame Elijah for getting it wrong. I go, what? No, he's just a human being. He wasn't supposed to be perfect. He's a human being. And he was overdoing it. He was working too hard. He was, he was trying to do it all himself. And with hindsight, you might say, well, yeah, you should have got somebody else to work alongside him. But he crashes. And God's response could have been, you got it all wrong, didn't you? I don't want to know you anymore. But he doesn't do that. God's response is to send an angel who uh, swiftly kicks him. I know what it says here. It says an angel touched him. Well, I don't think that's true. Not like that translation can't be right. I mean, if he crash and someone comes along and says, oh, excuse me, uh, excuse me, would you like to wake up? No way, no way. Uh, and if we look in, that, in the, the Acts of the Apostles and see what angels do there, I think it was a swift kick. And uh, God providing not only sleep, but food. And um, he goes back to sleep again, crashes. Along comes the angel again and says, more food, because you've got a journey. And uh, he travels further down into the Sinai Peninsula to the mountain of God. Uh, Horeb, Sinai, the mountain of God. And you'll have noticed that it was 40 days and 40 nights, which is a significant kind of length of time, Moses and Jesus and Elijah, all with the 40 days and 40 nights. Um, There are a lot of links between Moses, Elijah and Jesus. And um, while he's there, he gets into a cave and spends the night. But God doesn't leave him alone. God asks a question that gets in the way and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it doesn't tell us which bit is emphasised. It could be, what are you doing here, Elijah? It could be, what are you doing here? It could be, what are you doing here? It could be, perhaps, what are you doing here? That just rings bells with other people who've said things like that to me. But I don't know. I don't know. 
He asks the question, and there's this incredible answer, which is not true, it's not logical, but it's kind of like he's been storing it up, and God lets him unload his pain. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You get the pain. You get the pain in there. He's really wound up. And the Lord simply says, go out on the mountain. I'm going to pass by. You're you're going to have the privilege of an encounter with me. But before he can get outside of the cave, or maybe he chooses not to go outside the cave, there's, um, well, there wasn't room for all of it. What's that? Earthquake, wind and fire. Yes. The, the wind, <laughs> the wind crashes the rocks to pieces. The earthquake is on the Richter scale of, I don't know, something seriously scary. And the fire comes down. And Elijah's looking for God in all these things and he's not there this time. Yeah, he's used these things before, but he's not in them this time. It's not appropriate for Elijah in his state. Instead, there's um, still small voice. Thank you. Someone's paying attention. I think this is really great that we can find at least one person paying attention at this stage in the sermon. And um, yeah, still small voice was the old translation. This one says, (laughs) a gentle whisper. Other translations are things like, a silent whisper. A silent whisper. Or the sound of silence. God saying, shh, I want to speak to you. Never mind all this manic rushing about all over the place, up and down mountains, and doing things. I don't want a human doing, I want a human being. Just be there. Shh. Jill and I have been in Baptist churches for don't look like that of me. <laughs> Best part of 44 years. And I think I can safely say on the basis of our experience Baptists are not very good at silence. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Some of you may say no, 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 where I've been that's different. Um, even when leading a service and saying there's going to be a time of silence now, someone's got to fill it. Prayer or praise or a reading or something. No, 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 we're just having a time of silence. God's going to speak quietly to us. Reflective worship is not Baptist's strong point, usually. And uh, God speaks quietly and Elijah knows it's the voice of God and he goes out eventually to the to the mouth of the cave and what happens well (laughs) same question what are you doing here Elijah and you know what it's exactly the same answer (laughs) not going to say it all again but I think he's been rehearsing this for 40 days and 40 nights on his way to Horeb the mount of God. Been going over and over. When I speak to God, when I hear from God, I'm going to say these things. I'm going to get this off my chest. These are the, you know, and it reminds me of something in the New Testament. Jesus told the story, you know it, the lost son. 
the uh, prodigal son who goes into a far country and squanders all his inheritance and, you know, ends up in a, uh, in a pigsty, definitely not kosher, and he says, I'm going to go back to my father. And I shall say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I think he was a Baptist because there were three points. And uh, he, had to say, he decided he had to say these three. And on the journey back, he would have been rehearsing them. He would be saying, I, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. I am no longer... Yeah, over and over again. While he was still a long way off, his father did something culturally out of order. He ran to his son. It just wasn't the done thing. Jesus said this, and his hearers would have been shocked that this, the older man ran to his son. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. No chance for the third point. Father had his arms round him, hugging him, saying, wow, this is incredible. It's so good to see you again. Uh, no way is this going to be a servant of mine. I mean, you was lost, and now he's found he was dead, but now he's alive. It's an incredible picture of God's love towards us. However far we stray, this is God's amazing, shocking love. And I think that's what's happening with Elijah. This question changes his life. Like Saul was changed incredibly you know when Saul became Paul rode to Damascus all of that Jesus says why are you persecuting me shock and um, God says you haven't failed you haven't failed I love you because I love you, not because of what you do or don't do. I've still got a job for you. And we see at the end of this passage I read his recommissioning. It gives him three uh, anointings. He only managed one of them as it happens for whatever reason. But uh, he gives him a job to do and it's an amazing if you like a resurrection this guy was going to be dead he wanted to die that was the way he felt because he felt he really let God down and he was totally wrung out and um, you know, God brings him back restores him it's a, it's a message of hope I said there were three mountains, and um, after this, uh, this one, there's a third one in the New Testament. Um, because Moses and Elijah and Jesus, I said there's often a link, Moses, Elijah and Jesus all appear on the mountain, along with, thank you, Peter, James and John, you see, um, it does work sometimes, and um, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus' glory is shown. Peter, James and John, oh wow, this is great mountaintop experience. Let's stay here. Let's build some little huts. And Jesus said, no, we've got to go into the valley. We've got work down there. 
Um, but Elijah is there. It's uh, the law, the prophets. Um, so it's representing the whole of what's gone before. Interesting thing that I found is that another link with these three, Moses, if you look at the life of Moses, around his life, there are miracles. There's a concentration of miracles around Moses. There's a concentration of miracles around Elijah and Elisha. And there's obviously a concentration of miracles around Jesus and the early church. Very few in between, particularly those three times. The biggest miracle, I think, is this, that Moses and Elijah knew that it was, uh, it was possible to know God. It was a, we're able to know God, and they had a relationship with God. And through Jesus, we can all have a relationship with God. You know, all that rubbish in our life that gets in the way, put on Jesus, and then we have a direct line to God and have a relationship with God. That is the good news. And we were hearing about that, well, we've heard about that every week, but two weeks ago, the resurrection. I mean, if... If there's doubts about anything else, we need to look at the resurrection. Come back to that. Look at the preaching in the New Testament of the, new, of the first church, the first Christians. He came back to the resurrection every time. There's no resurrection. Let's all go home. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 is where Paul unpacks that truth, that it all relies on the resurrection. That's where the good news is focused question for us all this morning um, are you hopping are you umming and eyeing, going from one foot to the other saying well sometimes God can be in charge and sometimes other things are in charge and um, I'll put God first sometimes I'll put other things first sometimes or you know the God experience well that's a Sunday thing isn't it and I'll just sort of kind of put it in my pocket for the rest of the week occasionally take it out and carry on with my life that's a kind of mix and match what this, is, this passage is saying, and it's over and over again through Scripture, you saw it in Joshua, for example, is we can't serve both God and all these other things. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. We have to make up our minds. And uh, Joshua said to the people just before he died, he said, you may want to go back and serve the God's like in Egypt. You may want to serve the gods around us here. He said, but as for me in my household, I will serve the Lord. And he challenged them. He said, you, you choose. I'm not forcing you. You choose. And I would say today, before choosing, look at the evidence. Look at what we've got and make that choice. You may think you're a failure. Been there, done that. You may feel, I am wrung out. I am just, I've got nothing left. I've tried it all. Been there, done that. And um, it isn't about shaking it off. It isn't about 
you know, get up and shake it off and we'll be fine and carry on. It's none of that. But come to God and find that God loves us as we are. That's amazing. That is just amazing. And listen to God and uh, get hope from him. Are we hopping or hoping? Um, He wants to recommission us. He wants to reassure us. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've had things about hope. The resurrection, the centre of all that. And last week, you may have picked up in what Peter said. But uh, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Perhaps wasn't the main point, but I I noticed it. Um, I was listening. And um, that's it. That we are not looking... uh, It's not wishful thinking looking ahead. It's confidence in what we've already started to receive. God working in us. It's The Bible calls it a deposit, a down payment before glory. Christian hope is is not wishful thinking. It is is confident expectation, which is totally different to the the meaning that some people have for hope. (coughs) The psalmist, and I must say I, I love the psalms, especially when I've been absolutely down. Um, the psalmist was aware of his own (coughs) depression. And in one of the psalms, Psalm 42, which goes into Psalm 43, three times we get this. Why are you downcast within me, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. That's not I'm going to praise him now, necessarily. You may not feel like praising God, but hope in God, trusting God, and looking forward to praising him. I was going to stop there, but I have a quote from um, Michelangelo um, from a long time ago. He didn't send it along. I brought it. Um, who confessed at the end of his life that his work, amazing art and all that stuff, had crowded out his faith. And he said this, So now, from this mad passion which made me take art for an idol and a king, I have learned the burden of error that it bore. The world's frivolities have robbed me of the time that I was given for reflecting upon God. And I just wonder, have we got our priorities right? I'm going to read some verses in a moment uh, from one of the major prophets, which is what we're going to be looking at next week. And it's going to be as a prayer. I'd like the music group to come up, if you don't mind, so that uh, we can follow on with the last, um, the last song. Um, these verses mean a lot to me and to a lot of other people I know Um, they're increasingly special words from God they were written for the people of God who were 
a small group. They were struggling. They didn't know what was going to happen. And God brings this word of encouragement and um, I think it's great. So if you want to adopt an attitude of prayer, that's great. Now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flames won't set you ablaze, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. You are precious and honoured in my sight. I love you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you.